Hey, this is CJ Zettemoyer, the Next Gen Pastor here at White Plains Baptist Church in Scottsville, Kentucky. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope that this message that you're going to hear today encourages you and inspires you to live out the life God has called you to. So here is today's message. I want to read a poem to you all this morning before we start. Um, little secret about CJ, I like poetry, which also in turn leads to me liking rap music. Um, that wasn't a joke. That's a true story. Um, and if you're in the youth group, you know that I like rap music. They walk in sometimes and I'm just jamming out to some bops. Yeah. And they're like, what are you listening to? I was like, that's Lecrae. And they're like, who? The what? And so we have talks about rap music. So I love poetry. Um, I heard this poem in middle school and they made us remember it. Um, we had to recite it in front of the whole class. And so this is one of my favorite poems. You've probably heard it before. And the slide behind me is probably get, giving it away. And it's The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. It says, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood. And looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair. And having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for, the, for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hit. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, you've probably heard that poem before, right? Robert Frost, an American poet, um, world-renowned poem. But it was written kind of in tongue-in-cheek as a joke. Um, because he was on a trip through woods with a friend one day, and his friends, Robert Frost was like, well, let's go this way, or we could go this way. And his friend's like, well, we could take either path. I could show you something cool on either direction you want to choose. And Robert Frost kind of writes this poem. And what he says kind of in the middle of it is that each path hasn't really been trodden or taken by many people. Each path has its own adventures, its own benefits, Right. And what we're going to talk about today, kind of looking back at Easter and the cross, is the road not taken. And what I want you to get today is the fact that there is a road that you will never have to travel and you never did have to travel because Jesus did it himself. There's a path that you never have to go down because Jesus did it himself. Look at Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus, Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand 
to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. It's no secret, following Jesus will cost you much here on earth. It's a story that you've probably heard uh, growing up in church that when you follow Jesus, it costs you everything. And Jesus saying, is telling these people right here is, look, to follow me is to surrender everything you have on earth, even your very relationship with your family. To follow me is to set aside whatever your ambitions, your dreams are, and to cast all your cares on me and to walk the roads that I will walk. To follow me will cost you everything. He says, if you begin to follow me and you look back at what was, you will miss at what can be and what could be. And I think uh, the church here, I, I think our church today, we feel this call of adventure we feel this call of not really knowing what path to take, right? We stand at the fork in the road and we see this path, we see that path, and yet we don't know what to do. And we still think for some reason that we are the ones that make that decision anyways. When all the while, God is the one putting the path in front of us. God is the one telling us what path we should take. It boils down to Surrender. See, Jesus is telling them, look, you, you are giving up everything you have here on earth. But to not do so, to, to hold on to the things that you have here, to look back on what used to be good or what used to be bad and not see what God has for you is going to surrender eternity. to look back on, on what God did yesterday instead of focusing on what God could do today and what he may do tomorrow is to surrender eternity. Now, I'm 34 years old. I know I look like I'm 21, but I'm 34 years old. And eternity is a lot longer than anything I've done on earth, any moment I've had on earth any accomplishment that I think I have achieved, anything that has happened in 34 years, looking backwards, robs me of the blessing of eternity. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You put your hand to your plow and you continue to work and you continue to move forward. Don't look back at what happened yesterday, no matter how good or bad, and keep your eyes focused on eternity. Because the walk with Christ is difficult. To walk with God is difficult. Jesus is saying you can't be half in and you can't be half out. You can't be lukewarm. Revelation 3, 15, 16. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You ever tried, who in here has painted a house with a spouse? House with a spouse. That was unintentional. Zach, write that down. We're going to make a song out of it later. So you've painted a house with a spouse. 
You may have found a mouse. Anyways, but you painted a house with a spouse. The worst part of the house painting wasn't the labor, was it? It was the picking out of the color, right? Picking out of the color. Who has painted a house with a spouse that let the toddler pick the color? Okay, that is worse than just picking out a color with your spouse, right? (laughs) Zoe wanted to paint her room red. Not doing that. We're not doing that. Unless it's going to be a Manchester United room. Go, Go Reds. All right, we can do that but it wasn't going to be a Manchester United room. She wanted unicorns and rainbows. We're not doing that. All right, we're doing pink, purple, light blue, green. So, And then in one room, in the new baby's room, child number two, we're going to paint a rainbow. So we had to have six different colors. So we have to pick out which one of the colors matches the rainbows on the sheets, right? You got to match the sheets. That way everything goes together, knowing the sheets aren't always going to be on the bed anyways, because what's going to happen? The child's going to use the restroom in the diaper and the diaper is going to overflow and it's going to get on the sheets. And then we're just going to go to the basic gray sheets. And so all these decisions continue to lead into possibilities. And I'm just banging my head on the wall and I'm just like, pick a color. Y'all, we painted a house. We just moved in July, a new build. And when we were picking colors out, Sarah says, I want a white. Did you know there's like 37,000 different whites? <laughs> Faye, bless your heart. People like you are the ones we need prayer for because y'all just like, yes, there's 27 million whites. Which one would you like? I just want white. No, there's a gray white. There's an off gray white. There's a beige white. There's a, we picked a color that is ideal for houses that face the Southwest, right? Isn't that what it was? Face the southwest, that way the sunset makes the... (laughs) Make a decision, right? Make a decision. Am I the only man in here that feels this way? Don't raise your hand. I know your life is on the line at this moment, but uh, am I the only man that feels this way? We stand at a fork in the road, and we need to make a decision. And that's what Jesus is saying here in Revelation. He's saying, pick. 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 You you cannot live in the world and follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus, excuse me. You cannot follow the world and follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus and follow the world. You must pick. You ever sit on top of a fence? Especially at a ball field, there's a reason they have yellow things on top of the fences. It's not real comfortable. Jesus is saying, make a decision. Here's your options. Choose. It's either eternity or 70 to however many years of happiness. Eternity of joy and peace in in heaven with God, with Jesus, worshiping at his throne and seeing all the great things of heaven. Or you can have 75, 80 years of just being happy. Continue to try to find things in your life that are going to fill that void that will never be filled because you're continuing to pile these things in there and one hobby is going to lead to another hobby or one addiction is going to lead to another addiction. But you're going to, you know, you may be happy. Jesus is saying, pick. Make a choice. And I think today the church in general is being challenged to do that. Make a choice. And cancel culture isn't the right choice. Because if you don't agree with them, guess what? You're done. You've been cut. Oh, bring it on, fans in here. Isn't that from bring it on? Whatever. Irrelevant. 
Make a choice. See, for our church and for us as Christians to, to follow Jesus means we are not going to fit in with society. We're not going to fit in with the agenda of the politicians. We're not going to fit in with the agenda of what the city wants to do. We're going to say the only thing that is important is that Jesus is proclaimed and the gospel of Jesus is told. Your agenda means nothing. We have to make a choice. Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus said to follow me 13 different times? Matthew 4, 18 through 20. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, which is really confusing, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people, which if you heard that now, you would probably take that and be like, what does he mean fish for people? Are people drowning? Do we need to save them? And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And look what they did. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Then Jesus calls the hated tax collector, Matthew. He calls him in a similar way, Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew was sick of getting beaten up for taking people's money, right? People had found out Matthew was actually taking more than he was supposed to be getting. So he got sick of getting beaten up. And he realized the way of the world is not the way that I need to go. I'm in debt to the Romans. I want to give this all up and follow somebody. And Jesus comes along and offers eternity. And Matthew says, I'm in. Then when uh, he met Andrew, Andrew goes home and tells his family. Look what Andrew says in John 1, 41. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means what? Christ. But it wasn't just the disciples that Jesus called to. Jesus actually appointed 72 others. Luke 10, 1, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the town, towns and places he planned to visit. But what does all this mean? What does all this mean? We're, we're standing at the fork in the road in the wood. What does this mean to make a decision? What does it look like when we make the decision? Well, first you have to realize it's a personal decision of saying yes. Now, I know we started off the year in January of saying yes, during the Say Yes campaign, of volunteering, but this is a personal decision to say yes to surrendering your life, not just your Sunday morning volunteerism, but your life to Jesus. See, Jesus never forced any of these people to follow him. Jesus never physically made them follow him. He just offered. They knew there was something more, and they said yes. Secondly, following Jesus means humbly committing our entire self to him. It means we undertake a radical change in our lifestyle 
just as the disciples did. We don't stay the same. When Jesus comes into us, we can't remain who we were because where Jesus is, sin cannot be. Where God is, sin cannot be. So we overtake a radical change in our life. Third, following Jesus includes learning and applying his teachings through the help of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago and how we should ask for a new anointing every day of the Holy Spirit because yesterday's anointing isn't enough for today and today's anointing isn't enough for tomorrow. And if you don't believe that, volunteer in a church when the pastor asks you to do 75 different services for Easter week and you need a new anointing every day. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. And as amazing as you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in that path, when that happens, when that happens, when we begin to follow Jesus, we get the mindset of Christ. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And while we never can fully understand God, we can never fully comprehend God and how he created all things and how he exists outside of time, and that's like another sermon, his spirit empowers us. The Spirit of God dwells in us and empowers us to move on, to make a decision, to do the things that He's called us to do because we can never do these things on our own. You can never walk out the, the life that Christ has called you to and give up everything that you've been called to lay down if you do not have the power of Christ in you. Fourth, when Jesus said, follow me, it included knowing Him and what He expects. And we do that by reading his word and applying that to our life. We, we spend time praying and listening to God, talking to him. You've been created uniquely in a personality. You have your own thoughts, your way, your ambitions, your goals that, that have been put in your heart. And in the same way, God wants that unique relationship with you. He wants that oneness with you. And so to follow Jesus means you focus on that, that you are uniquely made. Nobody else before you was like you. Nobody else coming after you will be like you. Nobody else can do what you can do. You may think so, but that's not how God works. Nobody can reach the people that you can reach. You can share the gospel with people that I would never be able to share the gospel with. You can love people differently than I could love people because you are uniquely made by God for a purpose. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, follow me. See, the early followers of, of Christ after the resurrection and after um, Pentecost Sunday, the people who would follow Christ, they, they believed in the mission 
of Jesus. It's so much. And they knew that he was who he says he was or said he was. And, and they were so different, the way they lived their life, how they cared for one another, how they had this reckless uh, ambition to, to go forward and travel throughout the world and tell people about Jesus, that people knew them. Just when they would walk into town, there would be this aura. When Paul would walk in, there would be this excitement and tension all at one time in this town. People knew when Paul would walk in, and there wasn't CNN or Fox News or ABC News or whatever other news channel you want to watch and get fake news from. Just kidding. But um, it was word of mouth and the Holy Spirit prompting people to know that these people are the real deal. They completely devoted themselves to Christ. Devoted themselves to who he was. And so I think the biggest question we should ask is, do I love like Jesus did? Jesus says in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Romans 5, 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Jesus' love was pure. Jesus' love was sacrificial. Do you have a pure and sacrificial love? I heard somebody, I, I was watching a video about church leadership and um, the guy was talking about how pastors say they love their church, right? I love my church. Love my church. Love my church. My church is great. I love my church. And he said what they love is the ministry, the work, the busyness. He said, you want to find out how much you love your church? How much do you love the most broken person in your church? How much do you love the person who is the furthest from God? That's how much you love your church. And the same can be said for us. How much do we love our county, our city? How much do we love the people who we see as furthest from God? Jesus loved those people so much and he loves you so much that he gave up his physical life. He surrendered his physical life into the hands of the enemy on purpose, knowing every day that that was going to be the, his demise. And all he's asking us to do is to surrender some things in our lives that we hold to too tightly. To put a church word on it, idols. He's just asking us to lay aside our thought of what church should be and step into what he has for it of what your life at work could be and step into what he has for you. 
Every day when you, you stand up and you, you brush yourself off and you clean yourself up and you get ready to go out into the world, you stand at a fork in the road. And neither choice is bad. Happiness isn't a bad thing. But I would rather struggle on earth for a lifetime and live with eternity with Jesus than have happiness that is momentary, that I have to continue to fill with something else. And that's what Jesus is calling us to when he says, follow me, surrender everything you have on earth. He's saying, go all the way in. Put all your chips on the table. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. When we look at sin, the main cause of sin is selfishness. And the main cause of selfishness is what? Pride. Pride. I have an image to keep up. People view me this way. Pride. Can't be wrong. To admit that I have failed is to admit that I was wrong. And that hurts. That hurts. For some of us today, you've been, you've been sitting there a while and you've been holding on to your seat or you've been crossing your arms and you feel God tugging at your heart and telling you it's time to step into something and your pride has gotten in your way. Because you're afraid of what somebody may think of you. If I respond to the altar call, then they're going to think I'm a horrible person. If I respond to the altar call, they're going to think my marriage is falling apart. Instead of the reality is, we should be looking at those who don't respond and realizing what God is doing in our life when we step out and we follow him and say, I wish you would just do it because there's so much that God has for you and what he's doing in my life is incredible and he can do the same thing in your life. Just release your pride. See, we should flip the script on that and say, I want to go to the altar. I want to seek God. I want to pray every morning. I want to read my Bible every morning. I want to listen to worship music, not horrible country music. And don't say it's not horrible. You should listen to 90s country music. It's much better than country music today. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Even Garth Brooks has gone down the wrong path. Anyways, but... We should be people that we are seeking God so much that that is the standard. 
that if we don't respond to the call of Jesus every single day for that fresh anointing, we look at the ones who aren't responding and go, please just do it because you don't understand the freedom you will receive when you respond to the call. Follow me. Follow me. Maybe God's tugging at your heart this morning, whether you're at home watching. Or, i got to look up higher. The cameras are up higher. Maybe you're at home watching. Maybe you're in the chapel. Or maybe you're in this room right now. And God has been tugging on your heart. We should be seeking God together on our faces as a church. God, we want to see what you have for us. We have to first relieve, get rid of, surrender our pride. Surrender our, our ideals. What we think should happen. And say, God, I want what you want. And so this morning, as the worship team comes back up, we stand at a road in the wood. And there's two paths, and one of them is the path of Jesus. And one of them is the path you're already on. And the world wants you to continue down that road, the, the road that everybody is taking because it matches their agenda. But if we begin to take the road that no one else has taken, and we begin to live like no one else is living, then when we begin to see God like no one else is seeing God, and church, I don't know about you, but I want that more than anything else in this world. It's to see God break out and do something. To see God break out and send revival. To see those who are far from him grow near to him. And so this morning as we, we close and we, we pray and Would you just respond to the call? Follow me. And wherever God sends us, we'll figure it out together. And wherever that leads us, we'll rejoice when we get there. But that's the call this morning. Follow me from Jesus. Thanks again for listening. If you like this message and you want to hear other messages just like this one, be sure that you subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you really liked it, be sure that you rate it and share it with all of your friends. It would really help us out a lot. We love you. Have a great week.